Yes, hello. I was wondering if you could play that song again. Hmm, which one, man? The one that goes bee-boo-boo-bop-boo-boo-beep. No, man, you're thinking of bee-boo-boo-bop-boo-boo-bop. Bee-boo-boo-boo-boo-bop? Bee-boo-boo-bop? Boo-boo-beep-bop? Not bee-boo-boo-beep? Bop? Beep? Boo-boo-bop! Ahoy, mateys, and welcome to another episode of I'm Ready, a SpongePod Squarecast. My name is Captain Eric, and we are continuing our sail through the third season of SpongeBob SquarePants. Today's episode is Crab Borg. It is the first half of the 49th episode of SpongeBob SquarePants, and it first premiered on March 29th, 2002. Our writers of this episode are Paul Tibbet, Kent Osborne, and Mark O'Hare. Our storyboard artists are Carson Kugler, William Reese, and Mike Roth. Our storyboard directors are Paul Tibbet and Ken Osborne. Our animation director is Tom Yasumi. And our creative director is Derek Dryman. Uh, before we get into the episode, massive SpongeBob news coming out of the newly named Paramount Company of the former Viacom CBS has renamed itself to simply Paramount to reflect they're just overall new company branding. It, it it actually is a pretty refreshing change. It's it's tiring to see Disney just getting all of this flack for buying up these properties when there are massive media conglomerates doing the same and have been doing it for decades with not a single ounce of the same flack that one single company has for buying uh, Star Wars, a comic book company, and... Fox, like buying Fox was was a big deal. But these other companies like Viacom, you know, been buying things for years. And it's just without all of these different names in place, they can just be easily. Hey, this is just now the Paramount Company. We have Paramount, the film division. We have Paramount Plus. We have all of these other uh, entities within this company, like Nickelodeon and MTV, and hey, everything is now being structured out And I think a, a smart way. Not just for them to get flack. I, I just think in general it's a smart idea. Um, having Viacom CBS as as the parent company name just, I don't know, it, it didn't really roll off the tongue as much as Paramount does and I, I just think that's fine. So, uh, But along with the renaming of the company, along came with it some SpongeBob SquarePants news. SpongeBob, of course, was uh, announced as the top streaming show on Paramount+. Plus, but like, I believe by just a large margin, if if some of the numbers have come out, SpongeBob just, just dominating their airwaves. So we have some projects coming down the pipe for SpongeBob SquarePants. First of which announced were three brand new SpongeBob SquarePants spinoff movies in the uh, in the works for Paramount Plus. The first of which will premiere in 2023. Now I don't know if if the Sandy Cheeks live action hybrid film is going to be one of those. I, I would assume so. That that's a a movie that I would say is is a sure bet for a Paramount Plus release. Not to say that Sandy doesn't have the kind of draw power in theaters as Spongebob does, but I, I just don't see that movie doing as well in theaters as it could have just on a, a streaming platform market. It's it's just a perfect release for that. And and they kind of, you know, came out to say that these spinoffs will focus 
on other characters in the SpongeBob world. So that to me screams like that's that's the Sandy movie. That's got to be one of them. But along the three Paramount Plus movies, we got confirmation that a fourth theatrical SpongeBob SquarePants film would be coming out. And with that, SpongeBob is the only Nicktoon to get four theatrically released movies. Now, for Sponge on the Run, for for us in, in America, unfortunately, we did not receive that movie uh, uh, on a theatrical level, but it, it was a theatrically made movie. It did release in theaters around the world in certain aspects, and that movie was, was made for theaters. So that is still the third SpongeBob SquarePants film uh, and, you know, just unfortunately, by the means as most of us got it, it it's not how we would have wanted to to experience that. But, hey, we, we have another chance now to see SpongeBob SquarePants on the big screen. And I I hope we can just get away from the CGI for for just one more movie. Uh, we've had a completely 2D animated SpongeBob SquarePants film with some live action elements. We have had a hybrid 2D animated, live action, and CGI SpongeBob SquarePants film, and then we had a completely CGI live action hybrid. We can go full circle and go right back to the 2D animation, please. I, I mean, I love when they are able to show that on the big screen because it's so beautiful, and we, we got to see a lot of that in Sponge Out of Water, I know. I, I've always said that we were, at least for someone like me, I felt blessed by that. I know some others out there were, were not happy to get that much 2D animation in a movie that was promoted to have more 3D, but I I love the way they're able to add that extra detail on the big screen and to be able to see that. So I, I hope we get another just full-on 2D animated SpongeBob film. If they want to go nuts and have some extra art styles and, and do something crazy in certain sequences, by all means, but if we can at least have a decent chunk of it from the the original show's animation, I I would really appreciate that. I, I'm I'm sure most fans would love to see that as well. Uh, alongside that, they they completely announced a whole new slew of other animated projects coming to Paramount Plus. They are putting a lot of effort behind the streaming service, and uh, as time has gone on, I'm seeing them slowly add back their their catalog onto the streaming service. I hope they bolster that up with more content as time goes on, uh, even beyond what's announced. But uh, I've noticed a lot of going back into the well and reaching out for old projects. There's like Beavis and Butthead movies and, and returns coming to the network. They're putting money behind South Park, which is a, another 90s property. Well... With Ren and Stimpy coming back to Comedy Central or possibly a move to Paramount Plus, this is a time to get back into the 90s Nicktoons bag and and see what else we can do. Not not to do it for a soulless purpose. Not to do it just because there's content needed for this streaming service. But, hey, if they need content and there's something cool that can be done... Uh, hey, why not throw throw caution at the wind? Let's do this. Uh, I now there's there's been rumblings of a possible Jimmy Neutron return, and I think that is absolutely perfect for Paramount Plus. Uh, the Adventures of Jim, Jimmy Neutron, not just coming back for like a movie or anything, coming back for a movie and a return to the series, which I know is not uh, '90s Nickelodeon, but but Jimmy Neutron is is up there in in the iconic Nickelodeon status. But they they've gone back with Rugrats. 
I'm not, I don't want all CG for all of these uh, properties, but hey, let's just get another season of Hey Arnold in the can. Everybody probably wants to do it. Let I want to see Arnold's take on, on our current world in their setting, in that in that Hillwood setting. Uh, let's 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 give the Angry Beavers the finale that they deserved. I mean, how many properties today are completely meta and self-aware, and how the the Beavers had this this entire episode recorded? I mean, let's just add the animation to it. Let make make a Paramount Plus exclusive short. Which is just that final episode, finally, you know, animated as as HD as you, as you can, not CGI, but like HD animation of the original Beaver short. Maybe build off of that with a new idea. I don't know. Uh, Rocket Power. That's a show that deserves a nice little extreme comeback in this world. And and I honestly believe the the crescendo of of all of this is getting back our real monsters in some way. On, on Paramount Plus, uh, a movie, a return of just a kind of a reimagination of the show as far as like, hey, how does the monster world work in a, in a place where everybody has cell phones and cameras and there's just so much access? Like, how do they survive in this place? Um, I don't know if you do an age up with the characters and you just see like, how are they doing as monsters 30 years later? But honestly, I would I would be totally fine with a just kind of soft reboot of just taking the initial concept of Ickis, Crum, and Oblina going to the Monster Academy, and it's it's 2030, and now you got to dart everybody, you know, with, with, you know, kids are so desensitized over horror movies, and they're not going to be as scared with monsters, so you got to be a bit more creative with your scaring. There's so much potential there, but uh, going back to SpongeBob SquarePants, of course, SpongeBob still dominating their their airwaves their streaming services still the number one property for them and it's glad i'm glad to see that they're continuing behind the scenes more more projects more stuff more spongebob uh i'm along i'm along for the ride for all of that uh but you know speaking of just streaming services uh the idea of of how much we are committed to electronics and the cloud here we have an entire episode of SpongeBob SquarePants devoted to the fear of robots taking over, which is a legitimate fear that people have. There are people out there who, uh, when they see more self-service, you know, stations being built in stores and they see robots being driven around grocery stores with cameras, it, it's, it is a legitimate fear to have and i understand that fear completely um i i wouldn't understand the the fear to to avoid them outright but i can understand the thought when you see movies like you know i robot or how many science fiction books and other films that have come out over time that have have shown the the effects that the negative effects that humans can have on uh, uh, the programming of robots and like where things can go wrong. You know, we've, we've been kind of warned by these fiction writers over time over the possibilities of robots taking over. And it's still something that like we, you know, hey, like could potentially see down the road because we keep we keep pushing the scientific boundaries of robots. It's impressive to us. There are those out there who want to you know, see what we can do with robot technology, what they're able to accomplish. And we're getting 
extremely close to to making a like robot kind of like Bender. Uh, shout out to John DiMaggio, by the way. Uh, you know, full support right here from the uh, the Square Cast and Captain Eric. Uh, but but Bender in the show Futurama is is essentially a, a, a living character. You know, he's able to talk on his own and have his own thoughts. And although he can't feel, he he's still an AI that is so far advanced that you, it's hard to distinguish talking with him, you know, between talking with anybody else. He's able to hold up a conversation with you. And we're getting to that point. But uh, certainly at the time of, of this episode coming out, we, we were not anywhere near that point. Uh, but yeah, coming out near 2002, we certainly were not anywhere near the automated world as we have today in 2022, because we're coming up to, to the 20 year anniversary of this episode. So 20 years later, are we anywhere close to a robot invasion as SpongeBob was fearing? And uh, I mean, the answer is yes, but it's still it's still a slow burn of a robot invasion. We're We're definitely not at a point where there are giant robots with metal pincers, uh, red eyes, running on batteries, chasing us through the roads. We, we open up this episode late at night, SpongeBob watching a scary movie, uh, a scary movie known as, I had it written down here, Night of the Robot. Uh, now, the I, what I love about this whole little sequence here, and, and kind of this episode as a whole, but there seems to be this consistent love of horror movies present within SpongeBob. There, there's always little nods here and there that you can find that are connections to horror movies. Um, ones that are very obvious, like The Exorcist, and then others that are, are not so much. But if you, it's like one of those things, like if you if you know, you know. And what I love about this opening sequence is SpongeBob is staying up late at night watching this movie on television, and there's this announcer introducing the movie Night of the Robot, and he, he's got a bit of a, a creepy-sounding voice, uh, very classic. Um, what, who, who's the actor? Is it uh, Bella Lugosi? No, he had like a, a very familiar-sounding voice as, a, as like a, a, an announcer. But what, what it reminded me of is the long-running history of, of uh, horror personalities on television introducing these movies and being there in between commercial breaks. Uh, names like Elvira is, is going to be one of the most popular ones to bring up. Uh, my personal favorite, Joe Bob Briggs from Monster Vision, and I think currently he, he does content with uh, with Shudder, but uh, shout out to Joe Bob. Uh, Sven Gulli. Another well-known host of that aspect. For those who who don't know what I'm talking about, these names they completely sound uh, uh, made up. Uh, which, by the way, I saw a, a ton of the countries listed of of people who are are checking out the show around the world and and just scrolling through the countries. I I am seeing countries on there that I would never expect in a million years anyone listening to any of the uh, the podcasts I'm producing, any of the videos. Uh, if you are out there somewhere in the world outside, if, if you're in America, like, I, I, God bless you, I love you. Uh, but if you are somewhere out there in the world listening to my voice, listening to me ramble about SpongeBob and Nickelodeon, uh, like, uh, shout out to all of you. All of you all over the world, it's it's a blessing to have so much of the world check out uh, what I have to offer. 
A special shout out to our neighbors to the north. My family lineage stems from uh, French-Canadian territories up there, so uh, a shout out to Canada. Uh, but yeah, at any anywhere in the world, even in America, um, wherever you are listening to this, thank you so much. Really appreciate you. But uh, for for these names that I've mentioned, Elvira, Joe Bob Briggs, Sven Gulli, these are people who they would air horror movies on television and to to start off the marathon because it was usually tradition that uh, overnights they would kind of just batch air these these like low grade horror movies together. Uh, specifically, TNT's Monster Vision was a was a timeless block of content on Saturday nights where they would just air, uh, they would have like themed blocks of different, you know, it might be a Godzilla week. Uh, it might have to do with certain kind of aquatic monsters. They would be like really cheesy B rated horror movies, monster movies. They would have like alien movies, Moonster vision. And eventually the show evolved to, to add a host to the program, Joe Bob Briggs, who like his contemporaries, El- Elvira and Sven Gulli, in their own right, would would present these movies with a little bit more trivia, with just that that love of the the art of horror movies, talking about them. It really like those kind of characters are almost the preemptive to like movie podcasts now, where you're you're even like podcasts like this, where you're presenting information, you're talking about uh you know a specific subject. I I mean Captain Eric. I've even pitched in a previous episode about having uh, a a time block on Nickelodeon or Nick at Night being that like Joe Bob Briggs type character presenting classic Nicktoons with a little bit of information and trivia, uh, talking to the people who were a part of those programs. Um, And it's in the same vein as those characters. So hearing the beginning of this episode, hearing that little voice announcer, it it just among the other references to horror movies. I mean, Nosferatu, for example, went from becoming a single note gag in SpongeBob to a full fledged character in Camp Coral. And that's a that's a classic callback to to horror cinema. Uh, So we have SpongeBob here watching this this really B-rated cheesy horror movie. I mean, it's something that it's almost like SpongeBob is watching Monster Vision on a on a Saturday night. He's watching the underwater version of Monster Vision. He's watching this movie of uh, a live action movie of Deep Bradley Baker, the legendary voice artist and and just Nickelodeon legend, Deep Bradley Baker getting chased by a giant very fake looking but impressive you know robot like it was built with something you know like cardboard and metal the things that you could buy from home depot and put this together a, a home depot or a hardware store construction store it, you know it looks it's not as homemade as 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 i'm making it out to be but it is certainly the effort was put in to make this look like it's just one step above being completely homemade, but they're they're basically running in place, and the background and foreground is moving, kind of like how uh, like the old Hanna Barbera like driving scenes would be in the Flintstones, where the background would kind of repeat on itself. And so they're just they're running in place. SpongeBob's watching this movie. Gary comes in and reminds him that he gets uh, scared with horror movies, with scary movies. He doesn't like them. 
Uh, and it actually, it reminded me of one of my favorite episodes of Regular Show with uh, Elo Govna, with with Rigby watching uh, the, the scary movie. And no matter, it, though it's like a super cheesy foreign horror movie, he still is is kept awake throughout the night over it. And the same thing happens here. SpongeBob, it like this is a completely cheesy, silly looking movie, but immediately after Gary mentions it and SpongeBob saying that he would be okay, he is just we cut to nighttime, bedtime, and SpongeBob is just freaking out in his bed. He cannot sleep. His mind is fixated on the idea of robots taking over the world. I don't know about you, but I have been in experiences like this where uh, I I remember specifically at sleepovers as a kid where if a horror movie was introduced. Now, when, when you're a kid, at least when I was growing up in the 90s, it, it was like a mixed bag when it came to kids around like eight or nine and, and scary movies. You know, some of them, if you liked it, you liked it. Some didn't like it like at all. Like, they knew horror existed, and they just knew I didn't want to watch that. But there were also kids out there at 8 or 9 whose parents had, you know, shielded them away from the world to such a degree that they didn't even know the genre existed. And I was definitely at a sleepover or two where all three of those those types of kids were in the room watching a horror movie. Like, the ones who love it, the ones who, like... I. I'm going to be afraid throughout this entire thing. I'm going to have a pillow in my face. And then the kids who it's, it's the, it's the mixed bag. You don't know how they're going to take that. And I definitely can remember. I don't know what the movie was, but I remember one kid at a sleepover, not going to bed for hours. Like was completely freaked out over the movie, but didn't say that they never had seen horror movies or didn't say no to it. They just heard like, Oh, you want to put that movie on? I've never heard of that before. They didn't say to shut it off at any point, but they were apparently completely freaked out. And their parent had to come and pick them up at like super early in the morning because they could not stop being freaked out about this movie, like completely traumatized this kid. And it was just a, a very off situation. I, like I said, I can't even remember what movie it was. Um, but I, I just remember having that experience about like not being able to sleep or being woken up. Someone's parent had to come pick up their, their kid. And, uh, and yeah, there's absolutely insane. But I, I personally have never found myself in this situation. I have certainly found movies that, have given me the chills. There have even been some scary movies that um, laying laying down at night have stayed in my mind, like the uh, just thinking about it before going to bed. But but never once has there been a movie that made me not be able to sleep uh, or or really had an effect like that. Maybe the worst one would, I guess, would be Paranormal Activity. Just out of the thought of like. Hey, well, I'm sleeping. I don't want any of this stuff in this room moving. Do you understand that? But yeah, I, I, I don't I don't have any experience in this with uh, with horror movies and, and the way SpongeBob took it. But he's kept up throughout the night. He's he starts overthinking about his fear of robots taking over. He starts assuming that, you know, what if Patrick is a robot? What if all these other people are robots? What if Gary is a robot? He actually wakes Gary up to ask him if he's a robot. And that's got to be the most annoying part for Gary because it's just even you know going back to that regular show episode Mordecai being completely enraged at Rigby knowing full well you 
cannot watch this movie because you are going to get freaked out and you're going to wake me up in the middle of the night. And here we are, SpongeBob in this situation, waking Gary up, who told him, like, you, you get afraid from scary movies. SpongeBob in this sequence also mentioning the possibility that uh, his Uncle Sherm could be a robot. This is the first mention of Uncle Sherm, who we would later see pictured in a future episode. He is the brother of Harold Squarepants and the father of Stanley S. Squarepants from uh, the episode uh, named after him, SpongeBob's cousin. Uh, Uncle Sherm is named after Sherm Cohen behind the scenes of SpongeBob Squarepants. And was this line was, in fact, improvised by Tom Kenny, according to Sherm Cohen himself. Uh, Tom Kenny in improvised that line, and they just kept it in the episode, and, and they animated it, and then eventually uh, actually showed off Uncle Sherm, what he looked like with a big old watermelon in his nose, um, a, a picture that, of course, Sherm Cohen keeps as his profile picture to this day, which, I mean, if I ever have a SpongeBob character, that probably will forever be my profile picture. I completely understand that. But yeah, the, the fact that we just get this growing lineage of, of the SquarePants family is really nice. The next day, though, SpongeBob, after not getting an ounce of sleep throughout the previous night, is just bloodshot in the eyes. He is tired. He's freaking out in the kitchen of the Krusty Krab. He's still worried about robots taking over the world to the point that he's assuming, like, random piles of items in the Krusty Krab's kitchen are robots. He is assuming the, the beeps and the boops of the kitchen are, are robots incoming and taking over, and he literally can't get any work done here. Meanwhile, in Mr. Krabs' office, Mr. Krabs is currently counting money while he is listening to the radio. A radio announcer comes on the air and introduces us to the number one hit in Bikini Bottom, Electric Zoo. A little song produced for the show by Paul Tibbet on his own with with his own instruments. Uh, it's a very small beat that is just um, uh, a repetitive loop of beeps and boops that Mr. Krabs apparently really likes. He's he's digging this song um, and he's uh, enjoying it. Now we head back over to SpongeBob who gets spooked out by Squidward and and his hat jumps off his head and perfectly perfectly swallows Squidward's nose like the hat just lands right on his nose it's actually very impressive the the sequence of events that happened here um in this moment we get the song the tip top polka and it's a iconic piece of instrumental music for Spongebob Squarepants like if you aren't thinking of the music when I'm saying tip top polka um, I, it's the piece of music playing under me talking right now. Like th this is that, you know what this is. You've heard this before. Uh, I found that this piece of music has uh, helped with a lot of the humor in SpongeBob. There are a lot of jokes that when this is the background track to, it just, in just enhances them. It makes them 10 times funnier. I love that piece of music. And this is the episode that, that I realized that like all of the, the conversation that they're having, like just having that music in the background, it's just, you can, you know, call it nostalgia or something. I have no idea, but that music has always been one of the best pieces of, of background music they've had. Uh, anytime it's used at the Krusty Krab, it just, it just kills. And it's, it's honestly, it's like having a cherry on top of the perfectly made Sunday. It's a gooberberry sunrise 
perfectly made whipped cream and then it's like this is great on its own and you pop on that cherry and you make it even better that's that's the tip top polka for me now squidward you know kind of gets on spongebob's case about this this robot fear you know lets him know that it's it's silly it's dumb and he needs to just get to work i love when spongebob dresses the customer in the situation he he goes to deliver food over to a customer at their table and just asks them if they're a robot, but but still like places this fear of robots in their head to, you know, keep your eyes peeled. They're everywhere. Like imagine somebody, a waiter coming to your table, not even just for robots, just any aliens or anything. Just walking away saying that would kind of sour, I, I imagine, your meal. Or unless you just really don't care. I, that That's also a possibility. But I'm just saying, if I ordered a meal and the waiter came over and asked me if I was a robot and then said that to me in that exact way, the way SpongeBob does and walks away, I'd be a little freaked out at that moment. I don't know about you. Uh, at this moment, after he walks away from the customer, SpongeBob passes Mr. Krabs' office and Mr. overhears Mr. Krabs mentioning that he feels recharged. Now, Mr. Krabs in this moment, it's just a bit of miscommunication, but Mr. Krabs really liked that song Electric Zoo that played on the radio, so much so that it, it had him feel recharged uh, in, in that moment. That, that actually, it feels weird at first to say that, but honestly, I've, I have felt, you know, maybe a little low in the day, and after hearing a song, like something that really picks up your spirits, you can you can say that you feel recharged. That that feels like it's it's pretty correct. But he's he's talking to the radio as if the radio itself is controlling the the music coming out of it or what the station is playing, and he's calling the radio his little buddy, like, come on, little buddy, you can play that song again. And SpongeBob overhears all this, and with his innate fear of robots, you can already see where this is going. He now is assuming Mr. Krabs is a robot. He's just seeing all this evidence pack on itself. Now, in this moment, Mr. Krabs does what anyone would do uh, if they want to hear a song play again on a radio station. You you call into that radio station. Now, uh, I actually used to work radio, so I have a bit of experience in this, and I actually hosted a show on the radio station of my college that um, I had, I, I believe it was just once a week. I would go in for a, a three-hour morning session. I think it was from 9 to 12, or maybe it was only two hours or so. But uh, anyway, the the whole programming was already set for days and weeks ahead of time. Um, I would just have to go in and place in my, you know, my theme song to be able to play on the air. I would then have a live mic to be able to talk to people, I would, you know, start the music right, you know, as I'm still talking, and then you got to hit what's called you hit the post, which is usually if you're, you know, a listener to the radio, you will see uh, hosts do this all the time. It's just a part of being on the radio. But if you notice when you start a lot of songs, there's there's not, you know, singing at first. There's usually just the instrumental. It's just the music kind of getting into it. And 99.9% .9 of radio stations out there will talk over that instrumental track. They will make sure that there is not a breath to be made. They will continually talk while the music is playing, and they will make sure to leave at the exact moment that the song starts. 
Just a, just a bit of an example there. That's called hitting the post. Uh, it, it like that's day one stuff really when you're getting into radio and, and getting into like hosting and at least that was taught to me. But anyway, yeah, I, I was on the radio and actually um, tried to be a bit more open to the public on the songs I can play. I, I pretty much after I gained the confidence of the system and and after I was doing it for a long period of time, I felt confident in opening up the lines to let people call in and, and request songs that if you had a request for me to play, I would play them. And the name of my show was the awesome Eric show. I, I actually don't even know if I'll, I'll play the theme of that. I, if I still have it, but <laughs> yeah, probably not. I, I don't, I don't see any reason why I would want to ever play that. I was really into wrestling at the time I got back into wrestling. So it was in this moment of, uh, like you got to make your theme and you can, you know, add in these extra elements and make it sound like a radio theme. And I just, I went ham with it, but it was a lot of fun to, to have people call in, you know, it could be like an hour goes by and then all of a sudden the phone goes off and, and somebody would call in and say, Hey, can you, can you play Bohemian Rhapsody by Queen? And I'd be like, Hey, sure. That's a song I can, I can head off to the bathroom to. Uh, or you know, Stairway to Heaven, something extremely long. We we played a lot of rock music at a uh, at one hundred seven point seven, but yeah, it was an extremely fun time. Uh, and and what's cool about this episode is that this radio host in this episode is not just a random member of the crew. He is in fact voiced by legendary uh, disc jockey Rodney Bingenheimer, uh, who is well known for his time over at K Rock in the Los Angeles area from 1976 until 2017. Just to give credit where credit's due, uh, Rodney Bingenheimer was was developing a reputation in that time of being the first American DJ to identify new artists and play just edgy new bands of the time. Bands like Blondie and the Ramones, the Sex Pistols, Van Halen, Guns N' Roses, Joan Jett, No Doubt, Nirvana. These are like legendarily known bands. And this was a guy who is bringing a spotlight to them uh, at a time where apparently no one else was willing to do so. So Rodney Bingenheimer was brought in to play the the radio disc jockey of Bikini Bottom Radio. Uh, I absolutely love that. It's just a, like a piece of a trivia that's just, uh, it's sublime to be into that kind of trivia. I don't know why. Um, but yeah, I would, I would certainly look up into the history of, of Rodney there. It's, it's certainly fascinating. But they got him in this episode uh, not only to introduce Electric Zoo uh, earlier, but Mr. Krabs calls into the radio station to have him play that song again. Mr. Krabs didn't retain the name of the song, though, so he's only able to recite beeps and boops to the radio host. Like, I want you to play that song again. It goes bebop, boo-boo, bop, essentially. And it's just, it's, <laughs> we have this moment between radio host Rodney Bingenheimer and uh, Clancy Brown beep bopping back and forth with one another to try to get this this melody down. And the correct melody, according to our radio host here, is bee boo boo bop boo boo bop. I guess that's that's it right there. This entire sequence is absolutely silly, and is just another funny moment for SpongeBob to kind of look in on 
and to see you know Mr. Krabs making all these robot noises, these beeps and boops, and it just further cements his idea that Mr. Krabs is a robot. At this point, SpongeBob is fully convinced that Mr. Krabs is a robot and decides to bring his suspicions to Squidward and tries to convince Squidward of his findings, all of the the evidence that he has uh, up against Mr. Krabs at this moment. He heard Mr. Krabs earlier mentioning that he was feeling recharged. He was calling the radio his little buddy. He just watched him beep and boop to the robot himself, the, the, the radio. He's having a conversation with his radio and beeps and boops. This is some serious stuff. There's a real robot in the next room. Now, Squidward is not convinced, but divulges into SpongeBob into, you know, hey, what what were these robots like in the movie? How can you differentiate a robot from a real, you know, counterpart? And SpongeBob said there's three things. A robot can't cry, they can't laugh, and they can't love. Those, those are the three things. And they want to test these on Mr. Krabs. So first off, we have, uh, you know, uh, robots can't laugh. SpongeBob calls Mr. Krabs over to the front of the restaurant, where he immediately, without giving him warning or preparation, just shoves the conversation onto Squidward to tell a joke to Mr. Krabs. Squidward on the spot, and apparently completely impro improvised as well by Roger Bumpus, comes up with the classic pirate joke. You know, the why you know, why couldn't you get into the pirate movie? It was rated R, which for those that don't get that joke out there, if you are someone out there who just never understood that, um, in in America, we have what is known as the Motion Picture Association of America, the MPAA. And what their job is to do is they are to rate movies before they go into theaters because theaters pretty much only carry movies that are rated by that organization. And your movie could get one of the following ratings. It could get a G, which stands for general audiences, just like means anybody is pretty much good to see this. It could get a PG, which means parental guidance suggested. It's not really a requirement. There are plenty of kids' movies that get PG ratings because of just some silliness, and they won't turn kids away from seeing those movies. It's just suggested. PG-13 is is usually reserved for, you know, the, the older teenage audience where they might not let a, a, a six-year-old on their own into the movie, but they just think that, you know, 13 is the age that would be the most appropriate or over. But, you know, these things aren't requirements. Like, if you have a kid that's four, you can, of course, bring them into a PG-13 movie. Um, the only time a theater ever really hard stops people is at this next one, which is the R rating, the fourth one. R is restricted. That means that you have to be, in, the, in America, you have to be the age of 17 or older to get into a rated R movie. Now you can bring in somebody who is under the age of 17, but for most theaters and I and I think most states, you for to be able to do that, you can't be 17, you have to be 21 to be able to bring them into a rated R movie. Uh, or maybe it's 18, I don't know, depending on the theater, that's usually how they do that. Um, there is another rating past R that is known as NC-17, which means Legitimately, it doesn't matter that you're 30 years old. You cannot bring in somebody under the age of 17 into that movie. That's like that's that means that's a adult 
level movie right there. That doesn't mean it's it's adult adult, but it just means that you're not getting anyone under the age of 17 into that movie. And most theaters won't even hold NC-17 movies. Most of them pretty much stop it at R. The other half of that joke is other than the movie being rated R is the fact that pirates are known to say R. There you go. Uh, when you have to explain a joke, it might not make it funny. But that's such a classic gag that in the right context, the right person saying it, you, it can be funny all over again. And it's even funny to to defy one's expectations because, you know, one of my favorite pirate jokes is if I go up to someone and I, I say, hey, what what's a pirate's favorite letter of the alphabet? 90% of people will probably say R. Like, they, like come on, I know this, this answer. It's R. And every time I just, I get a big smile on my face because I know I got you. Like, oh yeah, that's a pretty good answer. But actually, pirates are very fond of the sea. Huh? Huh? Yeah, not bad. Not bad. If you, uh, not that I created that joke, but if you didn't know about that joke ahead of this podcast, you, you just remember you heard that from Captain Eric. Gave you a good one. Um, but we get this pirate joke that of course is so corny that even Mr. Krabs doesn't laugh and there you go there's evidence that he is a robot he's not laughing at the joke the next part of this is that robots can't cry to which Spongebob calls Mr. Krabs back up to the front continually annoying him with these requests to come up to hear this nonsense and immediately tells him that that when Squidward was a kid his father never hugged him and this is, as far as I know, the one and only time Squidward's father has ever mentioned in the show. But he expects Mr. Krabs to cry at hearing this, which I think is funny because for SpongeBob, it's like, well, if it's that sad, you think that that information is going to make you cry. Why? Why aren't you crying? You know, you're a bit more emotional than Mr. Krabs, and that's not sad to you. But he says this and Mr. Krabs's response is like, yeah, like that is kind of sad, but. Mr. Squidward can hug himself on his break, which I know sounds really calloused, but that's kind of what we expect from Mr. Krabs at this point, and I, I kind of chuckle at that, that response. The third item is that robots can't love, to which SpongeBob calls back up Mr. Krabs to Squidward's detaste over this entire situation, that he wants Mr. Krabs to know that Squidward loves him. And I like that Mr. Krabs doesn't even have a response. He just says, get back to work and immediately walks away. Squidward is not at all convinced that Mr. Krabs is a robot. He knows that SpongeBob is just freaking out having overwatched that movie and is going to need a ton more evidence than whatever SpongeBob has presented him with in convincing him that Mr. Krabs is one of these robots. Well, he asks SpongeBob what the robots looked like in the movie, and SpongeBob responds that the robots had piercing red eyes, metal pinchers for hands, and ran on batteries. Now, back in Mr. Krabs' office, as he is listening to the radio, it, it busts. It completely breaks. There's no more radio for Mr. Krabs. It's not that the batteries ran out or anything. It's that the entire thing busted on itself. Well, the batteries, though, are still good, and Mr. Krabs, as cheap as he is, uh, says something so ridiculous, but that he'll he'll... There's still some juice left in the batteries. I'll give them to Pearl for Christmas. Just the thought of Mr. Krabs handing used AA batteries to his daughter for Christmas is just... It's sad, but it's just funny. It's on point for the character. 
I, I don't know. I, I know he's not that bad, but in that moment, it's it's extremely hilarious. He puts the batteries slightly. He's got like a little pocket on his pants that perfectly fits these two batteries in. They're like slightly sticking out. And right after he, he pockets those batteries, he decides it's time for a good old fashioned hard boiled egg. And he's got you know where this is going. If you have any idea of SpongeBob SquarePants, but he of course has uh, metal tongs that he is using to hold up his hard-boiled egg that he is about to apply with some salt. Of course, I I have to agree with Mr. Krabs. If you're going to have a hard-boiled egg, adding some salt onto it is a good idea. Unfortunately for Mr. Krabs in this moment, SpongeBob calls him up to the uh, the front again, which spooks Mr. Krabs, causing him to squish the uh, hard-boiled egg. And at the same time, toss up the salt shaker into the into the sky, which causes a, a massive amount of salt to just hit Mr. Krabs right in his eye stalks. Now, I think it's funny that given that he's a saltwater creature, that salt would irritate him this much. But it was a, a decent amount of salt. And you don't you don't want all of that in your eyes in this moment. Mr. Krabs busts through his office door with with bloodshot glowing red eyes with the metal tongs in hand and the shot of the batteries slightly hanging out of his pocket. Like that part is funny because I I think they're the batteries were inserted in a back pocket, but just the fact that somehow SpongeBob and Squidward were able to see those and put two and two together was, was pretty funny. He runs to the bathroom obviously to clean off his eyes. And this was all of the convincing Squidward needed that Mr. Krabs is in fact a robot. He has SpongeBob's attention and is freaking out. They have to get these people out of this restaurant. There is a robot loose. SpongeBob, call the Navy. And while SpongeBob runs over to the phone, picks it up, gets to an operator who hooks him up to the Navy's line, which happens to be an automated message, which I I imagine if I called the Navy right now, I would get an automated message. But to SpongeBob... That just means that robots took over the Navy. He brings that news over to Squidward, who immediately is in emergency mode. It's like Squidward took a complete 180 once he saw Mr. Krabs and took the situation to its its fullest extent of seriousness. And after they were done evacuating the restaurant, SpongeBob and Squidward hid in the little like front cast register area while Mr. Krabs returned to his office. In this moment, we get this little sequence right here of of Squidward and SpongeBob discussing how they're going to deal with the situation and SpongeBob mentioning having to get poop on the robot. And this like Squidward like has to repeat himself like did you say that you wanted to poop on the robot? Like cuz they were talking about the movie that he had watched and how they dealt with the robots in that movie and and SpongeBob mentioning something about getting the poop on the robot. But when SpongeBob responds back to Squidward after Squidward rightfully is like, can you repeat that? Did, did you say poop? And SpongeBob, his use of words here is, yeah, you know, they get the straight poop. Ask questions, get information. And they're all about, you know, using the word poop, which I know is an old slang term for getting information. I, I believe it's like a 1950s type term in which it was meant for very relevant information like the 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 poop. They used it correctly here, but uh, I think it's a joke that even if 
you're you're here in America. I, I like I don't think it's a cultural thing. I think it literally is a joke that that you have to know the slang of that time period to truly appreciate it. Other than that, it's just cartoon characters saying poop a couple times. And you know what? That that's kind of funny in its own right. Uh, now Squidward tells SpongeBob, "Let's get that poop," and they immediately pull out a book that is titled "How to Torture." And on the front of this book, uh, they have pictured a medieval torture device known as. Yes, that's that's what an Iron Maiden is, essentially a coffin with spikes. I imagine you would close onto somebody, but I don't. Yeah, I'm I'm glad we don't do that anymore. That nobody makes those things. I, I I'm I'm happy about that. Might be those out there who think differently, but. From what they learned in this book, they they have pretty much getting the the straight poop out of people down down patented because they immediately got to work getting a bunch of uh, tools and devices needing to to get this information out of Mr. Krabs. Um, out of this, we see them grab some rope. Um, we also get to see a shot of someone's hardware bench, and what is grabbed from it is a saw and a hammer. That I, I imagine is going to be used for for torture. I love the little crusty crab calendar that they have on the on the wall there too, giving us this idea that it's happening in September time. The last item grabbed is a stack of records. Uh, I don't want to assume that all of them are comedy records, simply because the top record was a comedy album. But it would be funny if if they were just a stack of of just bad comedy records. Now using music as a torture device is is a known thing. Uh, I, I think almost every couple of years there's an, a really annoying song that people will mention that it's a kind of song that could be used for torture. And uh, I'm sure as I'm saying that everybody hearing this could possibly think of a song that like if you if you were to just loop that song over and over and over again for hours or for days that it, it absolutely like you, you can you could do that with any song, and it, and it's considered torture. But there's there's a select few of songs out there that would be that those like top picks that you wouldn't want to hear for more than like 15 minutes. Even even at five minutes, most people would probably tap out. But anyway, they they end up not using any of of those uh, of those albums in the torturing of Mr. Krabs. To which they do tie him up on his chair and immediately get into the interrogation. Starts off with Squidward slapping Mr. Krabs, asking him what is going on and where where the real Mr. Krabs is. What we need the real Mr. Krabs. I this this beginning part of this sequence I love because as Squidward is taking this super seriously, it's almost that SpongeBob kind of wakes up out of his his trance of being afraid of robots. Once he sees Squidward slapping Mr. Krabs, he starts getting really emotional and actually wants to stop the torture and get out of there. It's almost like he he woke up from the fear and realized like oh, I like this is real. I don't want to I don't want to deal with this. Squidward like it's just this is classic Squidward where he's not into something and then when he does get into something, he gets into it so intensely like that it's above and beyond where anybody else would take it. Squidward turns it up to 11. Like, I got to appreciate the guy that when he gets that motivation to do something, he jumps into the deep end. He he was not convinced that Mr. Krabs was a robot, and then through convincing, he is just like, you know what? I am 
taking over this investigation. I'm taking over this this robot hunt, and we are getting this guy. He has to remind SpongeBob that that is not Mr. Krabs over there, that that is, in fact, Robot Krabs, which is really funny that we have had a previous episode in which Mr. Krabs was taken over by a robot and almost no one recognized it, which I, I got to imagine maybe the, the creation of this episode came came after that of like, hey, this would be really funny if if he, they actually assume he's a robot now and, and there has nothing to do with Plankton, nothing to do with robots or anything like that. Throughout this entire sequence, Mr. Krabs is slapped five times, twice by Squidward in the beginning, twice by SpongeBob, who, once he gets the enthusiasm for interrogating this robot, decides to go over and immediately slap the robot, um, to which Squidward reminds him that you got to, like, ask questions. You know, the the, the slapping is there as the as the punishment like you don't want to get this slap so you got to tell us the questions but the next question that spongebob asks is what color is my underwear and then immediately slaps him he doesn't even give mr krabs the the chance to answer spongebob is certainly not good at uh interrogations or interrogating or whatnot uh now once mr krabs hears the line from spongebob that he is one stubborn robot he immediately explodes and is infuriated at the idea that these two think he is a robot, but Squidward and SpongeBob are not playing around with this robot, and they are going to take things one step further because SpongeBob overheard this Robo Crabs talking to the to the radio earlier and calling it his little buddy, which means that he's actually friends with these smaller mechanical devices, and maybe it's time that we bring them into the situation. SpongeBob goes and grabs. Mr. Krabs's blender, a blender that is apparently worth $24.95, and Squidward pulls out a nice bat, a bat that he is going to interrogate these little appliances with to torture Mr. Krabs, who is only bothered by the price of these devices, the, the blender at $24.95, the toaster at $32.50. They are destroying his appliances one by one with these little buddies not answering the question, where is the real Mr. Krabs? We get a food processor at $62.67, and, um, which brings us to a total of I have this $120.12 of destroyed appliances thus far. Uh, the last item, though, was a coffee pot. That although he was going to uh, say a price that I believe started with a four, so it was going to be maybe 40-something, he mentions that the coffee pot was in fact a gift and not, you know, anything that he actually purchased. So that's not really a loss on his part other than now, hey, he's going to have to replace that coffee pot. So yeah, that's a a lot of damage there. Uh, As the, the last item comes into play, the last robot in the entire restaurant is the cash register. It's Mr. Krabs' prized possession, and it immediately causes him to cry at the thought of his cash register being destroyed. He cries, he pronounces that he loves that cash register, and he also mentions that the cash register and him had so many laughs that they shared. And upon hearing this, Squidward, you know, goes back to SpongeBob and said, Hey, I thought you said that robots couldn't cry, couldn't laugh, and couldn't love. And here we are, this guy in this this chair right here is is all showing us all three of those things. And SpongeBob not only realizes that, like, oh yeah, I did mention those, but now Squidward wants to know how that movie ended. Hey, that movie that you were super afraid of all day, how did that end? And SpongeBob mentions, 
what sounds to be like the worst ending of any movie is that the entire situation was just in the imagination of the main characters' heads. That they found out the entire situation was just a dream. Then the realization of the moment kind of sets in for both characters, and SpongeBob quickly excuses himself out of the situation before Squidward is left alone with his boss, Mr. Krabs, the real Mr. Krabs, still tied up to a chair, having all of his appliances destroyed, uh, having been slapped a couple times by his employees. Um, it's been a bit of a rough day for Mr. Krabs, and uh, we, we end the episode with, with him screaming out Squidward's name. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the episode Crab Borg. Uh, it's, it's a f- definitely wonderful episode of season three. I love it as a continuation of this robot storyline, this like very subtle robot storyline we have in the Krusty Krab following imitation crabs. I, I like that they had an episode like this that was just almost the complete opposite of that episode where instead of having this obvious robot in front of you this entire time, you have Mr. Krabs and just based off of these very silly yet understandable assumptions uh, going down this path of just complete misunderstanding and, and a little bit of stupidity along the way. Uh, but this is just, it's its another episode that shows off that love letter of of horror movies that I got to imagine the writers and the crew have. And it's, it's so evident. And I love when they sprinkle in those kind of moments and they can have episodes like this. There's some of my favorite episodes Uh, of the show for those reasons, because I I would probably be pitching those kind of stories and those kind of references. And I I would probably have episodes like this. I would, I would want to make, but that is crab Borg. And this is, I'm ready a sponge pod square cast. Once again, ladies and gentlemen, my name is captain Eric. Uh, I just want to thank each and every one of you who take the time out of your week to listen to this show. Uh, I hope you enjoy it. Please follow any of the links in the podcast description in the YouTube video description. You will find links to my Twitter, to my Instagram. Uh, If you want to support this podcast and Captain Eric as a whole, you'll find a link for that there. Um, And I just want to thank each and every one of you for your time. Thank everybody who has worked on the SpongeBob SquarePants show, especially on this episode. Uh, Absolutely love all of you. Uh, Stay safe, stay healthy, and we will see you here next week. Well, in the movie, the hero teams up with a buddy and they get the poop on the robot. They poop on the robot? Yeah, you know, they get the straight poop, ask questions, get information. I never thought I'd say this, but SpongeBob, let's get that poop.